Uh, we continue with our series coming to the last week of uh, the second major section of the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 19. Uh, in the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel, he was primarily answering the question, who is this Jesus? The emphasis was on the miracles of Jesus, the displays that he indeed is the Son of God. And then beginning at the end of chapter 9, uh, through our text today, in the second major section of Luke's Gospel, he is answering the question, how do we follow and serve this Jesus? This section began uh, with Luke telling us that Jesus was setting his face toward Jerusalem. He mentions that a couple times in a row uh, as he began this section, letting us know that Jesus, not just geographically setting the path to Jerusalem, but in his understanding of why he came. His ministry was making that movement. And so we come to how he closes this section as he, as we see in verse 11, he is now near to Jerusalem. Beginning with the final section, verse 28, which will begin later in the summer, uh, is when Jesus finally enters into Jerusalem. That's the next step we have in this gospel on what we now call Palm Sunday, uh, the final week of Jesus' life in this earth, leading to his death and resurrection. And so we've had this gap uh, in the series beginning next Sunday that was set over a year ago when we laid out the sermon passages and how we wanted to work through Luke. So for over a year, we have had this particular gap coming right now. And it was a few months ago that as pastors, we thought through what we wanted to speak on. And the idea of working through gospel culture and how that comes in and through our lives, we had set some time ago. And I say all this to point to God's precise timing for this church to work through these issues. And we have to recognize this is a time to work through how the gospel just fills us and overflows us. We have great division really among God's people and even how are we looking at COVID-19 and our responses, even with how we gather together. We have concerns of of racism and different views and understanding of, of how we process that. And all of us know that the political culture between now and election is going to be horrendous dialogue will be filled with biting and accusation 
we are God's people. Called out of the world. Called out of their thinking and their feeling to embrace Christ and the life he has given. And God in his grace to us. Knowing this is a subject that would serve our church. Prepared the timing for it when we had no idea what events we would be in. And that should encourage us. We can begin praying with expectation. God is going to speak to his people. God's going to work in our church. And as Pastor Pat begins next Sunday, be praying for grace to him as he sets the stage and begins this series. Our nation needs, our homes need, each of our souls need. We are given two reasons for the parable that Jesus gives in the passage before us. Verse 11. As they, the crowd, heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So there are two clear reasons why Jesus gives this parable at this time. The first, it says, because he was near Jerusalem. Jesus knew that his earthly ministry was coming to an end. There was just a few days until his crucifixion. And Jesus' disciples who had been used to traveling physically with him over the last few years, where Jesus was telling them, this is where we're to go, this is how we're to act, Uh, they were under that direct spoken word from Jesus, and in just a few days, they were going to continue the ministry without his physical presence. And that would be difficult for them. That was going to bring new challenges for them, guided by the Spirit of God, but without Jesus directing them. But there's a second reason. It was because people were looking at the wrong answers, because they supposed the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. We've seen this a number of times already in our study of Luke's gospel. The people of Israel knew God had promised a Messiah, a Christ, a deliverer. But in their mind, it had to be a political deliverer. Someone to deliver them out from under the authority and control of Rome. And so to them... When the Christ came, 
he would cast down the ruling powers and set up the kingdom of God, which to them meant the political kingdom of Israel that would be filled with the blessing and wealth of God. What they did not recognize was that the kingdom, as we saw just a few weeks ago, the kingdom has come and it's in us. The kingdom of God is the work of God in our souls. But people didn't see that yet. They needed this parable and we need this parable because we also lose sight of where the kingdom is. We also can get caught up in the way of the world, which is manipulating circumstances until they are what please us, what we're comfortable with, what is our kingdom. But the way of the gospel is very different. Though we live amidst our circumstances and we have a great interest in them, and certainly we want to be involved in what they look like, but we see that our overwhelming focus and interest is the work of the Spirit of God in us, which then overflows our hearts so that we impact this world for the gospel, for His kingdom. And all of us recognize that we struggle with this at times. So this is a parable that serves us just as importantly as it did those who heard it the first time. And so let's read through this parable beginning in verse 12 that helps us to examine how are we looking at serving God's kingdom rather than our own. Verse 12, Jesus said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, which was an amount of money, and said to them, Engage in business until I return. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what had they gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And the Lord said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful over a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. The Lord said to him, you are over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, Here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. 
And he said, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the minor from him and give it to the one who has ten minors. And they said, Lord, he, he has ten I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Our Heavenly Father, we look to you to guide and shape our hearts. Speak clearly to us, to our lives, that we might indeed be good and faithful servants. Lord, that is what we desire. And we need your help. And we know you are here now to give it. Spirit of God, fill us in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two groups of people in this parable. Those who serve the nobleman and those who oppose him. Now, the storyline of the parable would have immediately been very familiar to his audience. Because it parallels the life of Archelaus. Archelaus was the son of King Herod the Great. The Herod who was king when Jesus was born. And a few years after the birth of Christ, King Herod died. And his son Archelaus felt he should be king of Judea in the place of his father. But for that authority to be given to him, he had to travel to Rome to receive that authority from Caesar. And so Archelaus goes to Rome to get that authority, but there was a delegation of Jewish leaders who showed up in Rome, and they did not want him to be king. And they tried to oppose that appointment. But Archelaus did receive the authority he went for. He came back to be ruler over Judea. And those who had gone to Rome to oppose him, they came back to find uh, that they had made the wrong choice. And they had stood against the wrong ruler. Jesus' point in the first part of this parable that immediately they would recognize as the the current politics of their lifetime. Jesus is pointing out, you have seen in your own lives, in your own nation, that if citizens oppose a rightful king, it ends up in failure and devastation for them. 
And Jesus' implication is, uh, he, the Son of Man, is the rightful king. Not only a king, in Jesus is all authority in heaven and earth. And those who reject his rule will not stand. We cannot overthrow the rule of Christ. And if we resist the rule of Christ, then our life will fall. But most of the parable addresses those who were servants of the nobleman. And he gives all of them the same amount of money while he is away to use until the day that he returns. Verse 13, he gives them the minas and he says, engage in business, meaning engage in my business. Until I return. Jesus clearly pointing uh, to what he gives us. In order that we would serve him until his return in glory. Now there's another parable that Jesus gives in Matthew about the talents. Where they're all given different amounts. There's some similarities, but there's different principles there. In this parable, everyone is given the same amount. What is it that we all have from Christ in equal measure that we are to use until he returns? And the answer to that is the life that he gives us. The life that when we trust in the gospel of Christ, gives us a spiritual birth, the spirit of God comes to live in us, and we are now made new citizens of his kingdom to serve in this world for Christ till he returns. That is what all of us have. In equal measure, we have new life, the gospel, we have the spirit to live by. And we all await the return of Christ. And as we do, the the question then for us, how will we be engaged in the business of our king? How will we serve his kingdom for the day when we stand before him, accountable for how we serve with what he has given us. The first servant that comes before him lived faithfully. Verse 16, the first came saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And the Lord said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful over this very little, I will give you ten cities. This this servant understood the responsibility he had been given. That our job description in life is to be faithful. 
That's what the Lord says of him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that the refrain that we have often thought, that's what we want to hear from Christ? Well done, good and faithful servant. What better declaration could be made? What sweeter words could we hear from Jesus than that we were faithful? And that's what made us good servants. That's what made our life good. So what is your job description in your understanding why are you here what is life for what is your priority what gets you going what are the goals you're trying to reach how are you measuring whether or not life is good how are you measuring whether or not you are faithful and according to this parable we should measure that by faithfulness with the gospel deposit, the life of Christ we have. Do we live that out? Do we use it? Now, our degrees of faithfulness will be, di- or fruitfulness will be different. The, the first servant multiplied tenfold. The The second servant multiplies fivefold, but the Lord's response to them both is is really the same. Well done, good servant. Here is the reward I have for you. And so God uses us in different degrees. We're in different places. We have different measures of impact. Some are in places where their circle is rather small. Others are well-known and highly gifted, and we see them impacting large numbers. Some impact millions of people. Some impact dozens. And yet, what our Lord is looking for is the same thing. The praise is for the same principle in us. Not how much we accomplished, but how. What was the way in which we lived and served? And there's good news in that. We can all be faithful. We cannot all be the wisest. We're not all going to be the most gifted. We're not all going to have as beautiful a voice. We're not all going to be as strong a leader. We're not all going to have equal gifting or opportunity. But Every believer can be equally faithful. Every believer can live well with the gospel that has saved them. Every believer can be filled with the spirit of God and overflow with that influence to those who are in their life. Faithfulness is not dependent on your gifting or your opportunity. Faithfulness flows out of your heart. And you, you can be the servant Jesus describes 
as good and faithful. That's why Jesus gives this parable. Because his heart is bursting to say that about you. He longs to describe you as a good and a faithful servant. But there was another servant. Another servant who was not faithful. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina. I, I kept it aside. It was in a handkerchief. He had laid aside what God gave him, which means he spent his time not engaging in the king's business. He used his time in his own business. He made a decision of what his life would be made up of. And it was not what the king had asked him to do. It was what he chose to do. Oh, oh, he had excuses. In verse 21, he says, because I was afraid you're a severe man. You take what you didn't deposit. You reap what you didn't sow. I had very good reason why I just set it aside. In his own mind and heart, he had convinced himself he had a good reason to be engaged in his own business instead of the Lord's. Everyone who's half-hearted for God has excuses. But his excuse, as all excuses are when it comes to God, his excuse was empty. First, it, it didn't even make sense, as the Lord points out. If what you thought of me was that I was severe in these matters, if, if that was true, then why would you set it aside and do nothing when there was the least you could have done to bring a return. And you didn't even do that. But even more, he really mischaracterized his Lord. What he gave as a description, we actually see in the parable, was not true. In reality, his Lord was generous. In verse 17... When the Lord says to the servant, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful over this very little, I'm going to give you authority over ten cities. The reward was extreme and over the top. They, they didn't match in any way. It was not a huge sum of money. The Lord even refers to, it was a little bit, you were faithful with a little bit, here is a vast reward. Jesus is purposefully in the parable pointing out that the service we bring does not compare to the blessing and reward that the Lord gives. Our God is a generous God. For he invites us to his household 
to be his children forever, to live in the joy of the presence of his son, that our lives would be filled with the riches of his grace, Paul says in Ephesians. The servant who was not faithful chose to interpret life by his own perspective. He even thought of his Lord by his own perspective. And that led him to set aside what the Lord had given him, what the Lord had entrusted to him, did not remain before him. It was set to the side. And what did that servant do during all that time? We don't know. All we know is he wasn't engaged in the business of his Lord. And so what does it mean to be faithful with our new life? Certainly we could come up with, with all sorts of, of activities and, and thoughts that would be aspects of faithfulness. But to get to the heart of it, the heart of it by by Jesus' own words. And that is to be people who live out the great commandment. What did Jesus say are the, the greatest of all commandments, of all that God has asked us to be and to do? What is greatest? And it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's the central direction. And we have the word of God that then lets us know, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love neighbor? To be faithful servants. Until we stand before our Lord, we, we are to faithfully love our God. And, and that begins with keeping in mind God is a living person. God is not an idea. God is not far away. God is a person who wants relationship with us. That is the entire reason why he sent his son into the world. That he, taking on our nature, might die in our place. Taking our guilt upon himself paying that debt so now we who were separated from God because judgment had to come, now there is no condemnation. And we are brought into a relationship with God. We're adopted as children. God is a person who speaks and who listens and who loves conversation. God is a person who loves company he loves the company of his children he loves the company of those he died to save he wants you he wants time with you and we come up with excuses of why we can't give him time now for things that we want to do that we think are good but what God wants most from you 
is you. And that means your time learning him by his word. Knowing what is his heart. That's what his word gives us. Time praying, speaking to him. Speaking of your heart. Praising his name. And the more we do that, the more intimacy we realize and experience that God wants to experience with us. We saw last week with the story of Zacchaeus that the Lord is always more committed to this relationship than we are. As much as we might give and and pursue him, when we do, we find he's pursuing us much more aggressively. So if you're wondering of how well you can build this relationship, if, if you're in Christ, he is all in committed to being near to you. And if you don't really know him, he's committed that you could know him. That's why Jesus came and died. Every excuse we use for not pursuing God really dishonors him because it it denies what his character really is. Just as the unfaithful servant dishonored the character of his Lord, misrepresented his Lord's heart, when we don't pursue God or think of God as someone who wants us to be near, we're thinking falsely, and that demeans him and his love. And it also, it, it robs us. We rob our own lives when we don't spend time with him. It is our loss. It makes life thin and shallow. The richness that all other areas of life are meant to have when they're lived out in the joy and faithfulness to our Lord, we, we lose that. And we're not meant to and we don't have to. What does it mean to be faithful with the life we've been given? We, we're to be great commandment people who love our God. And secondly, that we faithfully love our neighbor. Because everyone we meet, and that's, we saw earlier in Luke, the definition, Lord, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story of the man in need in your path. Biblically, your neighbor is whoever is in your path. Whether they live in your home, or you run into them at Starbucks, or they sit next to you in church, it's those people we can be neighbor to. And everyone in your path Everyone you will ever meet needs Jesus above all else. Every one of them. That is their overwhelming great need. If that need is not met, then the filling of all other needs will eventually fail. And so if it is another believer... They're in need of being encouraged in gospel truths, just as you are. They get weary, they drift, 
They become fearful. They become dry inside. They have questions. Every believer, there are no exceptions. Every believer needs the encouragements of their brothers and sisters to continue on and to be built up. And every unbeliever needs to hear of Jesus by word and see that we really love Jesus by action. We must, we must give the gospel in word. Without it, how can they be saved? Paul asks in Romans 10. But we also must live out the gospel. People must see that these are not just religious ideas that they can just cast off. Everyone has an opinion. No, they, they are meant to see the power of God in our life. This Jesus really does save. And he, he shapes us into people that we would want to be like. How can we care for and how can we reach people if they doubt we respect them? If they don't think we respect them, why would they wait to listen to the gospel as we share it? And our nation is facing that question right now. People don't believe we respect them as people. Why would they ever listen to the gospel they're so desperate to hear and need? The death of George Floyd is more than a terrible event. It, it was a deeply sad reminder to many people that the brutality that they've heard about through the generations that it, it still happens at times. It's a reminder of black Americans who have been demeaned in ways really we, we cannot comprehend in a way that caused them to question and wonder why are we thought less of because our skin color is different? Why would this happen? It's it's a sadness and a burden. And how people process it and respond that, it can be different. And some people process it well. Some obviously don't. But our responsibility that people know if, if they're grieving, 1 Corinthians 12 says, we are to sorrow and grieve with those who grieve. If you've had 
the death of someone you love in your family, at the time of the death, all you wanted was to know that people hurt with you. You didn't need people to tell you, oh, it's going to be better. You don't need to hear, oh, you have other children to love, or you can marry again, or you'll feel better in the future, or lots of people die. Sure, that's hard, but lots of people die. None of those are appropriate. They're all factual statements, but not one is appropriate to someone when they grieve. We need to slow down. Forgetting your opinions, it's time to slow down if people are grieving and hurting. Love demands that we would show we care and respect. All sorts of prejudices are coming out. What does prejudice mean? We prejudge. We decide what they believe, what they think, what their motivations are. We prejudge what's in here. And we've never talked to them. And we don't know their experience. I grew up in Pleasantville, and I can remember as a teenager in the mid-70s, it was a time of, of racial Conflict and rioting. The high school was shut down for a few days. I remember processing and living through that and some of the anxiety and fear. But overall, my view of growing up in a, a town that was uh, white and African American and schools that were predominantly African American, thinking that I was inoculated against any form of prejudice and racism because I had many friends who were black and was in their homes and I didn't think bad of them. I, I was not rageous. I was not prejudiced in any way. And the things that I thought were true, but it took many years until I realized a great failure. I had never even occurred to me that I needed to understand the perspective of my black friends. What, what was life from their perspective? What was it like for them? And because I didn't think about what their life was like and their perspective, when I would hear concerns or complaints, I would minimize them because it didn't seem as big as they thought it was because I had never taken the time to know how they felt. What was, like, what was life like for them? And you, your response to that, well, people around me, they're minimizing my side. I have concerns in all of this. I have fears in all of this. And that is true. You have a side, you have concerns, and there are people that are 
minimizing your side. But I would ask in the context of what we're looking at from the word of God, where does the gospel start? Does it start with our side? Does it start with making sure people are looking at me? Or does it always start with caring for the one who needs the gospel? Where do we start? People of God. And we never start with ourselves. There's only one side we should be concerned with. That's Jesus' side. And he gave his life and shed his blood to save people from all sins. Jesus has given us the responsibility to engage in his business. And we're not going to make progress with that if we set aside his business. Because in our mind, we have things to defend and protect. And there are things we want to protect and speak up about, and there's times for that. But it's always gospel time. It's always time to emphasize Christ. Uh, yesterday, uh, or the day before, I'm not sure which now, uh, Antoinette Wilson, who is a longtime member of our church, a faithful woman who is African-American, uh, she, in a, a comment, had this quote, when we know better, we do better. And we're better for it. And I think I can hear Antoinette saying amen from her house. People of God, by the Spirit, through the gospel, we can do better. And he has grace that we will. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I ask that people would hear your voice and that you would filter out anything that needs to be filtered out. May your word be the conviction and may you lead us and may we be not only faithful, may we be fruitful for the gospel in Jesus' name.